What's up, everyone? Good morning. It's good to see a lot of uh, old faces, new faces. Uh, my name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here. And it is a little surreal because, um, you know, like Jason Chen is back, Thomas is back. Uh, they were uh, part of our church many, many years ago. And I remember being a junior hire in the fellowship hall. And Jason Chen would lead music over and over and over and over again for what felt like years and years. And then sometimes great, you know, like, so it's just, it's just weird to me. Like I played when, uh, like all your family's kids, when I was your age, I played basketball with your dad. Did you know that? <laughs> and I beat him every time. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, it's, it's super encouraging and um, to see you all. And if you're new here, welcome. It's good to see everyone on Zoom. Um, Carrie Huang uh, has just come back from far, far away, a land far, far away. And so I'm really happy to see her um, black screen and white lettering on Zoom. Uh, at some point, I don't, I didn't ask you this. We didn't ask you this yet, maybe, but Carrie's probably going to share about what she's been up to for the last uh, three or four months. And I think we'll all be encouraged by that. Um, so let me, get, let me catch you up uh, with our sermon series, um, and then I want to pray for us uh, real quick. We've been in a series uh, on our church theme for the year. Uh, so our elders came up with this church theme based on the way the world is, and the theme that they came up with from Philippians 4 is do not be anxious about anything. Uh, it is a challenging verse to choose as a theme in the world we live in, isn't it? Do not be anxious about anything. And so for the, the last few weeks, um, it's been a while now, like I was gone on sabbatical having a son and taking care of him. So like, I mean, I, I would like, would listen on, I would listen on Zoom to like Dan's messages, like Ken's message, different people. Uh, so we've been preaching on this for quite a while. And we've been unpacking the theme. We've been looking at this kind of theme of anxiety and what's possible for us in the Christian life with God from different angles. And so this is probably going to be like the concluding sermon in the series where uh, I want to both encourage you and challenge you uh, with this theme of do not be anxious. And we're going to actually look at some uh, specifics about what it looks like. There are two types of life. This is making something black and white. This is reducing it, but it's okay. Uh, there are basically two types of life um, you can live, lives you can live. Uh, one of them is a life where you are anxious. Um, and then the other one is a life where you deeply understand and experience that God is your heavenly father who takes care of you. And these are two totally different types of lives. Um, if you are anxious and you've experienced anxiety, you know, I have, uh, we're going to talk about how scripture encourages us. And there's a really cool passage uh, from Timothy, like first and second Timothy. I mean, as preachers, we say this often, but these are two of my favorite books in the whole Bible. And they've been probably some of the most instrumental and encouraging to me as I've kind of grown as a pastor and tried to figure out what it means to preach, to shepherd people, um, still learning. Uh, often very terrified, and so I need First and Second Timothy to encourage me. Um, so let me uh, let me go ahead and pray for us, uh, and then I'll uh, we'll get into it. Um, yeah, dear Lord, um, I praise you that uh, you have given us your Spirit uh, because of your love for us as our Father. 
um, you sent your son to die for us, that we could receive um, reconciliation with you and forgiveness of sins, and that we could be given your spirit, who is a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And so I pray, Lord, that for those of us who are scared, um, for those of us who are anxious and nervous, we would understand more deeply what it means to follow after you, and we would be in a place of freedom where um, rather than being afraid, we can trust your care for us as our Heavenly Father, and that would free us to take risks for you, for your kingdom, for your gospel, um, to love people around us. Um, and that would turn us uh, outward in ways that would really transform the lives of people around us. Um, we can only do this by your power. We can only do this because of your grace, your love, and your acceptance for us um, when we didn't deserve it. So I praise you for the cross. I praise you for what the, the good work you've done in so many people in this room and are continuing to do in us. We pray. We really praise you. And Lord, um, I pray for your help um, as I speak in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So let's do the. Um, let's go ahead and get into the slides. Uh, so. There are two types of ways of living, and there are two basic assumptions about the way life is. Um, the first one is that the world is a dangerous, anxiety-inducing world, okay? And this is a way of life. This is a way of living, and this is our default position. Um, if the world is a dangerous place characterized by scarcity, violence, and suffering, we must address our fear by taking control. My life becomes about competing so I can gather resources, protect myself from danger, and thus avoid suffering. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, when the pandemic hit, what did people do? The world is dangerous, so I hoard resources like toilet paper. I gather it in, like, into my house. I figure out ways to protect myself, to secure my assets, um, to protect my money to protect my family. And I'm not saying these are totally bad things, but this is a very common mindset that we have. Um, and this is why the passage for a theme is so counterintuitive. If you live in this world for any period of time, you come to realize that in, like, you feel the world is dangerous. You feel the world isn't safe. And so, you know, I just had a kid and I've experienced new levels of anxiety about the state of the world because I'm kind of like, you know, I'm an adult. I can like do stuff. I can protect myself to I, you know, like not, I can't really protect myself, But, you know, like I'm I'm a of, of average build man. And that gives me like certain advantages. Like I don't feel as afraid when I'm walking alone. Um, but then my my kid is like he's like this big and he is absolutely helpless like absolutely helpless. The only thing he can do to protect and provide for himself is cry. And then we have to do everything for him. Um, this type of mindset is very pervasive, uh, not just outside, like not just outside of the walls, but inside the walls of churches. And many Christians, even though we believe in God, even though we say that, you know, like I'm a follower of Jesus, uh, our basic mindset sometimes does not change. And so you see a lot of this behavior where um, the world is fearful. People are out to get us. We need to circle the wagons. We need to protect our kids. We need to like just pr protect from all these harmful negative influences out there. And so it becomes about what? Uh, scar scarcity, 
hoarding, protection, guarding ourselves, like all of that. And I'm not saying there's no wisdom or no practical ways to go about that. Um, it is important that you instruct your children. It is important that you um, shelter them from influences that are inappropriate for their age. Um, but at some point, uh, but if your entire mentality is characterized by this fear, then I want to challenge you and say you have not understood what it means to be a child of God. So the other thing I want to say about this, before I get into what it means to be a child of God, I want to say, does this approach actually solve your anxieties? Does it work? What's really interesting is there's a, there's a phenomenon I've noticed in my life where uh, a lot of the times when I don't have something, I think that if I get it, I will be happy or less anxious, right? Um, and often it's like the more expensive thing I get, the more happier I will be or anxious. So, so like if you're, if you're like in middle school or in high school, why does this keep on doing that? Um, if you're in middle school or high school, you've probably wanted to upgrade your phone at some point. And you're like, um, once I get this new phone, I mean, maybe not all of you. So, sorry, sorry like, <laughs> Iris, if your kids are not. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, some of you might want to upgrade your phone, and then you get your new phone, but then do you realize what happens when you get your new phone? You become incredibly anxious and protective about it. Like, I remember when I had a super-duper crappy junk phone. Um, this was, like, way back in the day. I had, like, I had like um, it could only text, and I didn't have texting, so I could only make phone calls on it, and I really could not care about it at all. Like, I would throw it on the ground, and we, had the, we actually had this one kid uh, named Daniel, also named Daniel in our youth group, um, and he's probably graduated from college now, but uh, he, he would collect phones, and one of his favorite things to do in youth group was just throw them on the ground. Like just, he had like five phones and they were all kind of like cracked and broken. And, but the thing is when you get nicer things, you become more anxious about protecting those things. So have you ever noticed this? If you live in like a $10,000 like shack, do you have home security systems? No, because no one's gonna steal that. But then whenever you hoard more, accumulate more, your mind actually becomes more and more anxious about protecting that nice thing you have. And so the, so the, man, the mansions, the celebrities in Beverly Hills, they have extensive, elaborate security systems with high walls. Um, and Jesus actually says something along these lines where he says, the way to live in this world is do not store up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. Where he's saying, in your in your um, fervor to lessen your discomfort and anxiety by getting more things, because you think to yourself, if I have enough money, then I will feel less anxious because I don't have to worry about money anymore. But then when the pandemic happens, all of a sudden, all of your attention goes to how can I protect my money because I have more of it and I'm losing more of it. And it's like, what am I going to do? This dynamic is extremely true. And Jesus talks about it. And instead, he says, store up treasures in heaven. And if you are not a Christian, or it, like even if you're a Christian, that doesn't make sense, unless you deeply trust and experience this next thing that I'm going to talk about, which is that God loves you as a heavenly father and promises to provide for you and protect you. So rather than you being the one who stores up and hoards things and protects things, you are the one who can give up things and take risks 
And you can only do that because you trust that God will provide for you. So I can think of like, you guys are a great example, like your lives. I'm serious. Like inspirational to me in the ways that you have loved your heavenly father and trusted him and taken huge risks to go and serve him and out of your love for people, out of your love for the gospel. And there's a really challenging quote that I talked about last time from Dallas Willard, where he says, if you understand God's love as a father, the world is fundamentally a safe place to be. That's crazy, right? That's weird. How does that work? It's because God promises as your father, he will provide for you. And so if you read Matthew chapter six, which I love when Jesus talks about anxiety, um, he says, Gentiles seek after clothes to wear, um, you know, what you're going to eat. You worry about those things and God knows that you need those things, but instead seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So rather than taking responsibility for protecting yourself, guarding yourself, you can let go of that and say, God, I need to trust you. And once I trust you, I am free to do what you would have me do and live the way you made me to live. And last time I also talked about a Henry Nouwen quote, an image that I love, where uh, Henry Nouwen, theologian, professor, um, he worked with people who were differently abled. Um, really, really cool story. Um, he left his like his like Ivy League professor appointment to work with people who are differently abled. So he went from highly, highly acclaimed, highly approved, uh, sought after speaker, powerful man to having nothing. And these people couldn't even appreciate all of his intelligence anymore. And he was just like, what do I have? I only have the love of Jesus. And he, he learned from anyway, he had, he had this image that I really love where he says, um, life with God is like swinging on a trapeze. In a circus, there are two people who are swinging on a trapeze and you have to, at some point, let go of the trapeze and fly through the air. And what do you have to do if you're that person flying through the air? You have to trust the catcher, that the catcher will time their swing at the right time, reach out his or her hands and grab you at the right moment. And so a life with God is like swinging on a trapeze, letting go and flying through the air. And you're like, I have no clue what's going to happen, but whatever happens in any circumstance, I don't have to be anxious because I can trust that God will catch me. This is what it means to understand that God is your father. Um, and rather than center your life around not being anxious or not being afraid, which most of us do, like if you raise your kids in Silicon Valley, what do you do? You want them to achieve levels of success so that you don't have to be worried about them when you're older and they can be successful on their own. They can take care of themselves. They can protect themselves, guard themselves, are independent. Again, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but what is your motivation behind that? Do you trust that God is your protector and provider and no longer have to worry about these things? Um, so instead, uh, this is what it means to do rather than being afraid Rather than trying not to be anxious, like, have you, have you ever thought about how much of your life is trying to avoid discomfort, seek your own pleasure, not be worried about things? Um, when, when like, like I'm a father, so we have so many different tasks to do every single day and it feels often overwhelming, right? Um, but I have a different goal in my life now. 
The goal in my life is not to avoid discomfort or not to avoid hassles. My goal in my life, one of the big ones, is to take care of my son and love him so he can grow, you know? So as a parent, you're taking on hassles, you're taking on discomfort, you're taking on less sleep, waking up in the middle of the night, babies crying, dog complaining, all of this stuff. You're taking that all on out of this greater goal and mission. And so I really want to challenge you. Um, as we go through this passage, is your life more like side A? My goal, my life is pre- like fearful, um, self-focused, protecting from outside influences? Or is your life side B where I can trust God I can let go of that tra- the trapeze. I can fly through the air um, f- doing what God would have me do, and I trust that he's going to catch me no matter what happens. Um, this is not idealistic. Um, this is what Jesus says. This is what the Bible teaches. And then I feel like our responsibility, if you're a believer, is to make it nitty-gritty, where in your everyday life, you have to figure out what it means to trust God as your father and let go of your worries and anxieties, okay? So, um, the life of a growing disciple is someone who is empowered by God and becomes free to eschew comfort, safety, and personal pleasure for the sake of the gospel and to self-sacrificially love people around us. You guys got that? You can give up comfort, safety, and personal pleasure for the sake of the gospel and to self-sacrificially love. That's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus' whole life was about. Jesus at no point said, I'm going to hold on to my comfort and pleasure and riches. I'm going to protect my assets. Instead, he said, I'm going to give up everything for the sake of those who need salvation. I'm going to experience humiliation and pain and loss and grief um, out of my love for people. Um, And then as disciples, we follow in his example and we are empowered by him to do that. Okay, so let me read. uh, Let me read our passage. Let me read our passage. That was a long intro, but let me read our passage uh, from 2 Timothy. And what I want to do is I want to show you what this life looks like and give you some, in a sense, attitudes that you can put into practice as disciples. And honestly, I think this will free you. In my life, uh, to put these into practice, and again, this this is gradual. It's a process. Um, But to just consider these things, and um, I would encourage you, Take small risks for God uh, whenever you feel him leading you. And then through that, you will experience increasing freedom over your anxiety. It's a totally new perspective on life. It's a totally new way of living. So let's go ahead and look at it. This is from 2 Timothy. And I'm going to read. um, I'm going to read from verse 5 to verse 12. Okay, so Paul is writing to his protege, Timothy, um, and Paul is uh, on death row. So he's going to be executed by the Romans. Christians are undergoing great persecution from the emperor Nero during this time, as it was most likely written in like the mid 60s or late 60s. And so Paul writes to Timothy as he's like on death row, soon going to be executed, and he's giving him his last words. He's giving his protege last words. These are what I want you to, the words I want to use to encourage you and instruct you and empower you to go on after I'm gone. Okay? So he says this, I am reminded, Timothy, of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, 
and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been trusted to me. Uh, this is God's word. Um, yeah, Lord, I pray that you would speak through your word in ways that would equip and encourage us to um, have perseverance and suffer for the gospel in the ways you would have us do, to use our gifts, to understand your spirit in us who empowers us to um, do what you would have us do. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, so there are basically um, th like three uh, elements in this passage I want to talk about. Um, and the way I want you to read this is each one of these is each one of these is the side B way of living. Side A, you're afraid. Side A, you're anxious. Um, side A, you're inwardly focused. Side B, uh, you fan into flame the gifts that God has given you. Side B, you understand and utilize the spirit within you. Side B, you live the life God has called you to live. I couldn't find a way to do the end with you on all three of them, but it's okay. So let's go ahead and look into it. Um, a little bit of context. Um, I already gave you some context, but this whole this whole, the first letter and the second letter, um, I, I feel like one of the themes throughout uh, can be summed up in chapter two, where Paul says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And then later on in chapter four, he says, always be sober minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So Timothy is in a pressure packed situation um, as Christians. There's, there's like in, incredible persecution by the Emperor Nero. Paul was about to be executed. And so can you imagine if you were in Timothy's position, how that would feel? Timothy was probably in his 30s. And so in 1 Timothy, uh, Paul had to write to him, do not let others despise you for your youth, right? So Timothy is young and Timothy is in a position of leadership in a church. Um, I super duper relate to this passage partially because of that, because a lot of the times as a pastor, I'm like, dude, what are you even doing pastoring at this age? Like, what are you even doing? <laughs> because, you know, it's like, I don't have uh, the experience like walking faithfully with, I mean, I've, I've some experience, but not as much as other people. Um, but I believe God has called me to it. Um, but Timothy was a person who is like many of us and who I super duper relate to. Timothy, in many places, was characterized by being timid. So Paul had to, over and over, encourage him and build him up. And Timothy's always like, 
but these other people are older than me. I don't know how to lead. I don't know what to do. How can I be a pastor? How can I shepherd people? Um, I'm afraid. Uh, and, and then when Paul is going to be on death row, he had even more reasons to be afraid because his mentor would be gone forever. He, could, he couldn't talk to him. He couldn't ask him for help. Paul wouldn't be praying for him the same way. Um, and not only that, all of the pressure would be on him where it's like when a CEO steps down, the new guy, all eyes are watching him. Whatever he says, whatever move he makes, stock price jumps up or down depending on the new successor, right? So imagine if like Warren Buffett like stepped down um, from Berkshire Hathaway, uh, the new CEO, all the eyes would be on him. And so all the eyes would be on Timothy. And that's a lot of pressure to be under when you're only in your 30s. And there are many people who are older. Not only that, there was false teachers, all kinds of different pressures were on him. And so he was scared. And so the last thing that Paul said to him was he had, he, he did a number of things, but the first thing he did was remind Timothy of the sincere faith he had. So Timothy, you could, this is actually really interesting because this encouragement might have meant that Timothy was so fearful and timid and worried about being killed, worried about being persecuted, thrown in jail, that he was even considering whether his faith was real. Or he, he might have even been, been considering, like, should I uh, give up my faith? And so Paul says many, many times in chapter 2, do not be ashamed of the gospel to Timothy. Did you catch that? If you read through, through 2 Timothy over and over again, do not be ashamed do not be ashamed. Share in suffering. Don't give up. And so Paul has to encourage him. Like, I need so much encouragement all the time. Like Dan, um, he's preaching on the Chinese side. Dan is an incredible encourager. And I really could not do it without the encouragement of, you know, like all of you and Dan and the elders and everything. Um, because over and over again, I doubt. I have self-doubt. Um, I'm afraid of like this. Like, I even had... <laughs> I remember the first time, um, so when Fred Monk was still around, um, I started interning here. And I remember for the first four sermons that I preached, it was the most excruciatingly painful, anxiety-ridden process of preparing every single week before I was to preach. And I've told this story before. On the fifth one, I was praying. We were preaching through Samuel. Um, I still was anxious. I still was freaking out. And then I remember God gave me this encouragement that I'll always keep with me. Um, it was basically like I was standing up on the Chinese side, like with the, like the podium right there. And I was all alone as I was preaching. And it's like, if some of you are afraid of public speaking, it's like the, all of the fears, like you're like, what, what, I don't know what to say. What if I say something dumb? What if I just totally space out? And I'm like, uh, Right? Like I, all of those things going through my mind. And then I, I like felt God's presence with me and God took my hand and just held my hand as I was up there. And for me, that was like, that was so powerful. And it's still powerful for me every time I think about that, where I'm not alone. God is with me and he is the one who is empowering me to do what he expects me to do. Um, and so I'm afraid I am naturally a nervous person and afraid. And the only thing that can get me through is to be reminded 
and encouraged by people around me. And then the second point that Paul says to Timothy, remember your sincere faith. Remember the people, your mother and your grandmother, who passed down their authentic faith to you. And he says, your faith is real. Even if you're afraid of persecution, even if you're afraid of taking on this responsibility of leadership, your faith is real. I know it's real, Timothy. What you have to do instead is to fan into flame the gifts God has given you. So if you see verse six, he says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. So this is really interesting. The image he uses here is, um, does anyone like barbecuing? Has anyone done like charcoal barbecue before? Because I haven't. (laughs) I only use gas grills. But I have seen other people who do charcoal barbecues. And you have to light the charcoals and then you pour lighter fluid on, you light them. They burn for a while. And at some point, they start to like turn into embers, right? And so Paul uses this image where he says, Timothy, I know how afraid you are. I know how much pressure you're under. And your gift, the gift of God, the calling of God in your life has started to go out and die out. And so what do you do if the embers are dying out? You fan it into flame. You get a fan, you you add oxygen um, that creates more of a fire. And so he's telling Timothy, don't let it die out, but actively try to fan it into flame. Like, remember the gift that God gave you, put it into practice, do what you can to encourage yourself and seek encouragement from God to put into practice. Don't let it die out. And like, part of the reason I chose this passage was like, if there was any, if there was ever a time in my life where I think many of us have all felt the same way at the same time, it's after two years of the pandemic where we've been isolated. We have been confused like all of our leadership, totally confused about how to exercise our gifts in the same way. Um, and then not only that, there's just the, the cumulative fatigue and pressure and stresses and difficult decisions, um, painful political stuff, uh, losses in our church. All of these things are reasons why it feels like the embers are just barely burning. And so Paul says to Timothy, fan it into flame. The opposite of anxiety in the Christian life is not to try to not be anxious. Like it's not avoiding anxiety. The opposite of being anxious is to exercise and put into practice the gifts God has given you and live the way God intends for you to live, which is one aspect to fan into flame your gifts. So now when I look at you all, there are many people in this room who I know are tremendously gifted and a lot of, especially like, especially if you don't know what your gifts are and you're like, I don't know how to serve the church. I don't know any, like, I feel so afraid and unconfident. You're just like Timothy. You're just like me. You are the exact type of people who Paul wants to encourage you and say, like, you are gifted and you are important and indispensable in the work that God is doing in the world. Um, And so this is where, like, when, when you guys think about church, there are different mentalities you can have. Like, I am the one who performs and does the stuff, and you are the audience. That's one mentality people have. That's not the case. Ephesians 4, and this has been very transformative to my view of what a pastor does, says God has given pastors to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So 
I am like, a, Dan is like, the elders are like a player coach, right? Where uh, if you're a player coach, you not only direct people and help encourage people and equip them to be, put them in a uh, position to succeed, but you're there too in the game. So like we're basketball players and I'm not the one who's doing everything and you're, you're sitting on the bench. We are all in the game together and the player coaches help direct the team and make everyone work together and help the chemistry go well. Have you ever considered that view of what the body of Christ is? So you are indispensable. You are gifted. Fan into flame the gifts that God has given you. What do you have to do in order to do that? Um, you have to know what your gift is, roughly. And the process by which you discover that is living in community in the body of Christ and seeking God's guidance for what your gifting is and asking people around you. So if you look here, Paul says, the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And then if you look at first Timothy, Paul actually says, Timothy received the gift um, through the laying on of the hands of elders. So Timothy's giftedness was affirmed by the elders in the church. And that is what has given him, in a sense, confidence to exercise and practice his gift. If you guys don't know what your gift is, we want to like help you figure that out. And so Dan and I, like um, Ken, the elders, like we want to give you opportunities where you can use the way God has made you to serve and love people. And here's the crazy thing. If you are more anxious and in first in first Corinthians, Paul says he is anxious for the churches. So there's actually a type of anxiety in the Christian life that's good. It's the type of anxiety where you are so concerned for the state of people around you, their spiritual life. You're so concerned for God and the gospel going forward, for people to be saved and healed and set free, um, that all of the other things that used to worry you start to become less, way less important. Do you know what I'm talking about? When I, like, like Toby is a great example where a lot, when you become a parent, actually, let me give you two examples. Number one, when you become married, you care way less about how you look. Why? I, okay, sorry, maybe not everyone, but like there is a, there's a sense where you are anxious about attracting another person, and so you try a lot harder, and then you get married and you are a lot less anxious because you are more focused on the other things. When you have a kid, you, you start to care even less about it, at least I do. Um, and this is not everyone, but anyway. Um, okay, an illustration doesn't work. Let me move on. Um, the next thing I want you to see is um, I, want to, I want you to see how Paul tells Timothy to understand and utilize the spirit within you. If you were to discover your gift was to preach or to disciple people or evangelize, uh, if you are extraordinarily confident that you can do that with your natural ability, you are woefully, whoa, that was startling. <laughs> Yeah, that got your attention, huh? Um, uh, if you think that you can do what God would have you do based on your own ability, you are woefully mistaken. Um, when I have tried to do that as a pastor or preacher, it's, uh, it's terrible. It's always bad. Like, I always feel so overburdened and fearful, and, and it's just bad. Um, but if you understand this truth, that God has made you to be gifted— and not only that, God has given you the Holy Spirit to equip you to take the risks he would have you take. 
Um, and if you understand who the Holy Spirit is, this really makes a big difference. So I want to look at um, this three-word um, like phrase that, uh, that Paul uses and kind of unpack it. So fan into flame your gifts. The reason you can fan into flame your gifts is Paul says, because or for, you can flame into, fan into flame your gift, which was given you by God, because God gave us a spirit, not of fear. So the first thing he says is if you're afraid of something, you can be sure that it's not coming from God or from the Holy Spirit. Um, now, I want to be a little bit careful because this is not saying take dumb risks, um, but it is saying that the Spirit of God frees you from being crippled and paralyzed by fear. And that's what my experience has been like, where there have been many times like, oh, I, I'm like speaking for something and I'm just terrified. Like, like for whatever reason, preparation wasn't going well, had a hard week. I'm just afraid. I'm afraid of doing badly. And what I think it means to be freed by God and by the spirit is often God will give me these little reminders, like, like the handholding thing, right? Where he's like, you know what? You're afraid, but it's not you doing, it's not your power. It's not by your natural ability. It's by my spirit, my power, my empowerment and equipping that allows you to do what I would have you do. And so if God wants you to do something, is God going to equip you to do it? Or is he just going to leave you hang, like out to dry? He, if he's a good father, he's going to equip you. If he's a good father, he's going to catch you no matter what happens. So you can feel free to take risks. You can let go of the trepies. So God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Let me talk about each one of these words. The first word is a spirit of power. Um, when you do something for God, you are, you are very aware of the, how you don't have the power. You do not have the power. Um, when you realize what it means to make disciples, to share the gospel with people, to love people, you're like, how do I love someone? Like, I can't, I, it's too hard. It's too hard to love people who are difficult or annoying to me. I just can't do it. And so the first step in understanding and living out what Jesus says is you have to say, God, I cannot do it. I can only do it through you. I can only do it through you. I have to depend on you completely to live out the life you would have me live. But it says here, God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power. And so imagine for Timothy, Timothy knows the power of God that rose Jesus from the dead, the power of the resurrection. That same power is living in Timothy and empowering him, equipping him to do what he needs to do. So even if all the powers of the Roman Empire, all the powers of the Roman soldiers, their swords, their military, all of that is arrayed against Timothy. He has the power of the Holy Spirit in him. And God is more powerful than any army. That would be so encouraging for him, as for Timothy. And I hope it's encouraging to you, where when God calls you to do something, it doesn't matter how afraid you feel. It doesn't matter how weak you feel. Because you have the power of God's Holy Spirit in you. And, it's, and Paul says in 2 Corinthians, the power, um, my grace is su sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. In weakness. So if you are weak, then he is strong in you. Um, and I really experienced this in ministry many, many times. 
the next one, love. Uh, have you ever noticed that when you are afraid, it becomes life becomes all about self-preservation? So there's there's the joke, right, where it's like, oh, you you're, you and your three friends are being chased by the bear. You don't have to be the fastest person. You just have to not be the slowest. You get it? I, 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 didn't, I didn't tell it very well, but whatever. You know what I'm saying, right? The bear eats your slow friend, and then you get to survive, right? You're afraid, and it becomes all about self-preservation. Um, have you ever thought about this? You're in school. You're really, really nervous about a test, and that is the only thing that you care about. It's the only thing you are thinking about. And so you turn inward. You, use, you, you ignore your parents. You like blow off your friends. Um, you, like, you like push that kid out of the way because he's, you know, you're, walking, you're running to the library to study. Get out of my way, kid. I got stuff to do. When you are afraid of something, when you're anxious about something, it is impossible to love other people because you are curled in on yourself. And I was thinking about this. Um, I was thinking about armadillo Christians. Um, I don't know why. You know what an armadillo is, right? It's that weird armored rat thing that lives in the desert. And when it gets afraid, it curls into a ball. And it's, it has like a hard armored shell that completely protects itself from all the outside forces. Armadillo Christians are people who are so afraid that all of their focus is inward on their own self-preservation, and they're never looking outward to people who are in need of help, people who are in need of love, people who are in need of the gospel. That, don't be an armadillo Christian. The, there's the quote where it says, the opposite of, of love is not hatred, it's indifference. Right? Whoa, that's deep. I was thinking about this. I'm like, the opposite of love is not indifference, it's self-centeredness. I don't know. I thought that was pretty like interesting because indifference, you're not really saying what the person's attitude is like. You can be indifferent for, for a bunch of different reasons, but it's impossible to love someone and at the same time be completely self-centered because to love someone means to pay attention to them, to want their good and to sacrifice yourself for the good of the other person. And so here's the thing. I am self-centered and I'm selfish. Once you get married, you figure that out. Once you have a kid, you figure that out. But God has given me a spirit of power and love where, I mean, I told you guys a story before. When I was a kid, so much of my life was about avoiding discomfort. And so I'm very introverted, but, and I always imagined my life would be happy if I could have some kind of job where I could like be creative, I could write, I could speak, but I never had to interact with anyone because I hate it. Like, I, I don't, I wanted to live a perfect life full of pleasure and comfort where I never was stretched. I didn't have to deal with people because people are difficult and weird and annoying, all that stuff, right? God has completely changed me and he has given me a power of love. I'm not saying I'm perfect by any means, but he is constantly pushing me by his spirit outside of myself and saying, like, how can I pay attention to someone else and love someone else? Uh, don't be an armadillo. The opposite of that is to be open and to be other-centered and pay attention to other people so you can love them, okay? And the final one, self-control. Uh, this word, uh, the literal word is like a sound mind, 
But I, I really think the word self-control is a good translation for us. Um, to have self-control doesn't mean there's that, oh, that, that chocolate cake there, and you know, like I really want to eat it, but oh my gosh, I'm going to gain weight. So then you don't eat the chocolate cake. To, to have self-control is to say, when I have a goal, I can control my body to accomplish that goal. Right? So the chocolate cake example works to some degree, but a lot of times we think about self-control as avoiding bad stuff. This is not just avoiding bad stuff, it's having the power to actively go towards something good. So you're an Olympic athlete. You are self-controlled, you have to avoid some bad stuff, but a lot of it is you have to take the active steps to achieve your goal, and that requires discipline. In our lives as Christians, if you are a Christian who completely lacks self-control and discipline and you're not growing in this area, um, then I would say um, potentially you're not walking with the Spirit. You're not walking by the Spirit. If you walk by the Spirit, God can grow your ability to control yourself. Um, but it's all for His purpose. You can gain self-control when it comes to loving people. You can gain self-control. You can accomplish that purpose even when it might be painful or in, in, involve suffering for you. You guys with me? That's really, really cool because a lot of us might feel powerless to control ourselves. Like when I was in high school, even now, I struggle with procrastination, right? Where it's like I wait till the last moment to prepare. But what's really cool is like over time, very slowly and painfully, um, God has really helped develop Man, I mean, I feel like weird saying, but like some, some degree of self-control in my life where I can more actually dictate what I'm going to do, even though it might be hard. And because of that, that's the fruit of the spirit in you growing in you. And you will become that, especially when it comes to loving particular people God wants you to love. Do you see how this is so encouraging to us? Fan into flame the gift, understand how God has empowered you to use your gifts, a power um, a spirit of power and love and self-control so you don't have to be afraid anymore. You don't have to be an armadillo. Let God use you in our church. Let God use you in your workplace, in your school to be his witness. And that's what Paul talks about next. Live the life God has called you to live. 2 Timothy 1.8, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Um, Paul is reminding Timothy uh, that to be a Christian and to serve God and the gospel necessarily involves shame. And we, I don't know if you, what you think of when you, when you see the word, uh, do not be ashamed. What shame is, is when your reputation with other people has been damaged. And so you don't want that person to look at you because you are ashamed. You know you did something wrong and it's not, it doesn't matter. Like if you, you're not ashamed if you like something really embarrassing happens when you're all by yourself or I don't, maybe you might be. Um, but for most people we're not, but it's like, I'm trying to think of an example that's not too gross. Um, uh, let's pretend that you like, you're at your home and you like drop your drink on the ground and no one's there. You like look around. Did anyone see that? Nope. Okay, whatever, clean it up. But imagine you're at senior prom and you're like going up to receive the homecoming queen bouquet and then you trip on your dress and fall flat on your face. You are ashamed because everyone saw it. 
And so Paul is saying to Timothy, don't be ashamed. Other people might persecute you. Other people might look down on you, but you don't have to let that control you and make you afraid. And this is really hard. Um, when, when the rubber hits the road here, uh, what do you do when people ask you where you were on Sunday? Like, this is a really innocuous question. Like, what do you, what do you get up to on the weekends? Um, if you're anything like me, it's very possible to control your image where you're like, well, now I'm a pastor, so it's kind of hard. But um, before, it would be like, oh, you know, just hanging out. You know, you don't have to say you went to church. You don't have to say you're a Christian. You can always, like, avoid it because you're afraid of what other people will think. You're ashamed of Jesus. Um, but Paul is saying, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And so he's saying, Timothy, God is saying to you, uh, the only way you can be not afraid, not anxious, not ashamed is by the power of God and by seeking him and walking with his spirit. And then the final thing I want you to note is the life of a Christian is not one where you avoid discomfort and pain and suffering. The life of a Christian is sharing in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Um, If you are a Christian because you want help being less anxious, just know what you're in for. That's not why we become Christians. If you become a Christian uh, to get better grades, or if you're a parent and you want your kids to become a Christian so they can get better grades or listen to you better or whatever it might be, Maybe that will happen. Maybe it won't. But this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Um, It means to share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. It means to imitate Christ's life where he didn't seek his own safety. He gave it up. He 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 was willing to go through the suffering it would take so that people could be helped and saved. You know, again, I have a kid. And so I was thinking of this like kind of hypothetical with Toby, where it's like, would I rather Toby live a life? That's my son's name. Would I rather Toby live a life where he avoids all discomfort and has a really smooth life, but doesn't have a good life where he does things that are meaningful and help help other people? Would I rather him completely avoid suffering, charmed life, and not accomplish anything good? Or would I rather him go through pain and suffering for the sake of helping him love people and do good in the world? Parents, do you like, you understand what I'm asking, right? Which one, which one is it? Which one is it? That's really hard, right? Um, Peter says in the Bible, like, don't be surprised when fire trials come upon you as if something strange was happening where there will be suffering. (laughs) So you can't protect them from the suffering. And so instead raise them to be the type of person who can go through the suffering with God and God can redeem the suffering so that they can do good and love people around them. This is what it means to be a Christian. It means denying yourself, carrying your cross daily and following Jesus And I just want to end. The reason you do any of this is because uh, Jesus says, follow me. Um, I'm I'm just zooming through my slides. Um, 
let me use the marriage analogy one more time. Uh, the reason you are willing to go through suffering uh, is because you want to be through G- be with Jesus because he is the one you love. And in marriage, if your marriage is characterized by love for your spouse, only when it is free of discomfort and pain, is that true love or loyalty? Uh, if you want to be a believer, and again, I, I want you guys to think through how this applies to us in a pandemic age. What does it mean to be so enraptured and in love with Jesus that you're willing to go through suffering for him and for his people? What does it mean to do that? Um, let's consider that. And then I just want to finish by repeating what Paul says to Timothy and repeating and challenging you with it. Um, are you using your gift? Are you fanning it into flame? Are you discovering what it is? Are you seeking to use it to love people around you? Do you understand the spirit that dwells in you, empowering you to live the Christian life? Um, and that this is a better life than simply being safe and comfortable. Do you understand what that means? Um, Do you understand what it means to follow Jesus, share in his suffering for the sake of the gospel by the power of God? Um, I've been so challenged by all of this, by the pandemic, and I really want to figure out what it means to do that. And I hope that as a church, the pandemic doesn't make us turn inward, where it becomes all about survival. Like, how can we keep our programs running? How can we you know, like be comfortable and safe and not avoid any danger. No, I don't. I hope it's about more than that, where it could actually turn us outward and say, how can we share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God? How can we help people come to know God? Um, how can we love people in our group and out of our group? Let's pray. Dear Lord, um, I pray that your word would transform us and challenge us and persuade us, that your word would comfort us and empower us and equip us, um, and that because of your word, we would be able to do what you would have us do. Um, I pray, Lord, that uh, it would be an earworm in our ears this week, that you would be leading and guiding us by your spirit in very practical ways that we can love people around us, that we can not choose comfort, but choose uh, the way of the cross, um, and that this would really transform our church, turn us outwards, um, and that through it, people would be saved, you would be brought glory, and we would be loyal and faithful to you in spreading your good news. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the fact that we are saved and can have be reconciled to you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.